This afternoon, we're doing part two of fasting, God's spirit of guidance promised to us. And I told you that was part of the promise, I would say, that he said my disciples would fast. And that he gave us guidance on fasting. He says, be not as the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and cover their heads and tear their clothes and everything when fasting. He says, that's not the type of fasting that he wanted. He said, to wash your face, anoint, anoint your head with oil so that you don't appear to men that fast. And when your father seeth in secret, he will reward you. Yes. So I'm saying part of the promises of God is the promise of the Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I say prayer and fasting and combination that you want a closer walk with God. You walking in obedience to his word. And we see where the Gentiles, as Cornelius, when they prayed and offered up alms, that God was watching what they were doing. He was healing them. And that's when he sent Peter to Cornelius' house and said, Behold, Cornelius prayed. And he sent Peter to him. And Peter went there and preached to Cornelius and his whole household was saved. They were baptized, they were saved, and he received of God's Spirit. Those that have been broken, I tell you, brokenness comes from God. Godless sorrow produces brokenness. God's sorrow uh, produces a repentance not to be repented of. In other words, it has an actual purpose and it works and accomplish. It's a it's a effectual in the believer's lives. So part of that promise, when he promised the spirit unto the people, and he promised to Abraham that he would be a light unto the Gentiles, because Abraham was the father of faith. He was the father of many nations. The Jewish nation had the law, the Judeo-Christian law, that a lot of people try to impose that law upon the Gentiles, he didn't give the law to the Gentiles. Grace and truth came by way of Jesus Christ. That was the gospel news. That was part of the great commission that he preached for us to go out into all the world. Notice that he told his people, don't go into all of the world at that time. He says, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Later on, the gospel was expanded in the Great Commission to go into all of the world. When he was resurrected at the, at the end in Matthew 28, 29, 19, that's when he issued the Great Commission to go into all the world, go into all nations, baptizing them, making disciples of all men. And so the promise that was to the children, the promises of God, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's why he sent the promise of the Spirit under you, the Holy Spirit, which was going to testify of him, was going to lead you and guide you in all truth. That Spirit come to, to, to the obedience, the, those that obey God's word, those that obey God. It comes by wise counsel. The book of Psalms, the 73rd Psalm, and the 24th verse reads, You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to honor and glory. 
That's the amplified version. It reads similar to the King James Version, a little bit closer. But the amplified, I mean, the living version says, you will keep on guiding me in all my life with your wisdom and counseling. Afterwards, receive me into the glories of heaven. In other words, all of the life, all of our born-again life, all of the life when we are birthed again, we're born again unto God. That's when we pray to him to lead us and guide us. That's when we can pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray, our Father which art in heaven, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. Lead us not into no temptation. He's going to lead us in paths of righteousness. So we're looking for divine guidance and divine leadership each day. We pray opening up today that he would lead us and guide us into all truth. To lead us not into temptation. To lead us not in the paths of the way of evil. That's our petition to God. So in Isaiah the 58th chapter when he says, Then shall they call and the Lord shall answer. They shall cry and he say, He shall say, Here I am. This is the church. This is God's people crying to God the Father. Because Jesus said when you pray, pray our Father. So he, his disciples are doing just what he said. And prayer is the, one of the vehicles. That's why Peter asks, Lord, teach us to pray. And you see, prayer comes through a effectual relationship with God to the broken, to the humble, to the contrite, those God, God promised to dwell with. It, he be, it becomes part of their life due to their submission to God. As he said, if my people which are called by my name would humble themselves, See, so it's a humbling of the selves in submitting unto God. Resisting the devil, that's when the devil flees because you're humble and under submission to God. Now others that may not be humble and don't submit to God, they're fighting the devil in their own strength, by their own power. So he says, verse 9, finish verse 9. I thy, and I, if thou take away from me the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the thing and speaking vanities. So all of this vain, pagan, ungodlike character that you're displaying and things that you're doing while still fasting, get that out of your religion. Get that out of your belief system. Get that out of your fasting and prayer. When you fast, you start doing these things. Just like he says, wash your face, anointing for. In other words, as Michael say, you know what's required of you that you should do. Yes. And it's to walk humbly before the Lord to do justice, to do good, yes. and to be merciful. We know what's required of us of God. He says, and if thou draw out thine soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and that darkness be as the noonday sun. All of the evil and wickedness are starting to vanquish out your life. God is starting to vanquish it because he's going to be the light on our path. He's going to be a lamp to our feet. He's going to direct us. We no longer sit in the seat of the scornful of sit with those that deride and, and mock us and all of that. It's a new day for us. It says, verse 11, And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thine soul in drought, and make thy bones, and thou thou shall be make thy bones fat, and thou shall be like a watered garden, and a light a spring of water, 
once water's fell not. And you know a garden is easier to handle than a field or something. You could take a hose, an irrigation system, and water a garden. A garden, when you think of a garden, you think of maybe flowers or food or vegetables or whatever it be in that garden, but it has personal attentions. Like the Garden of Eden, he put Adam in that to tend the garden. Whereas in the rest of the world, we don't know what was in the rest of the world because when he cast Adam out into the world, thorns and thickets was there because he had cursed the ground. And he had put him out of the garden. So a return to the garden, a return to the life that God had promised us in him when we start calling unto him. A continual guidance. A continual guidance. He says they will be led by the Spirit of God or the sons of God. He had given us the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us in all truth. So we see a submissiveness in our lives we see where we look unto this wise counseling, not just on Sundays or Saturdays or a particular day, but every day. Every day. Every moment of the day. In every decision we make, we're looking for his wisdom and counsel. In the midst of all uncertainties, he says, Isaiah 48, 42 and 16, I will lead the blind by a way that they do not know. I will guide them in paths that they do not know. I will make darkness into light before them and rugged places into plains. These things I will do for them, and I will not leave them abandoned or undone. So when we can't quite see our way or whatever, we're depending upon Jesus Christ. We're looking unto Jesus to bring us through because we are but children to him and he's our father and we're depending upon him to lead us and guide us by his spirit into all truth, into the paths of righteousness, into the paths away from the evil and the forward man. As Jesus Christ says, I left, left them in the world but keep them from the evil that's in the world. So if we stray from the path, if we stray from the way, there are pitfalls all along the way. There is darkness along the way, but we must stay in the light and remain in light so we'll have fellowship with God because God does not walk with us in darkness. And unless two agree, how can they walk together? Uh, The living says, I think this is the other one, he says, He will bring blind Israel along a path that they had not seen before. He will make the darkness bright before them and smooth and straighten out the road ahead. He will not forsake them. So here's God never leaving his people. When it appears that he's alone, uh, that you're alone, you know that he's right there because his spirit is within us. We know through his promise, he says he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's with us too. The book of Romans says, No height, no depth, no affliction, shall peril, swore, or any of these things separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. He's faithful even when we're unfaithful. You remember I was telling you about Peter the other day that had a, a, a physical, a carnal failure when he denied the Lord. But the Lord was still there with him when he was unfaithful the Father, Jesus Christ, the Spirit, was still there with Peter. He had told him the devil 
has asked of me to sift you as wheat. He said, by I pray for you that your faith not fail. Us of little faith, we have to be like the man that I told you that Peter and him couldn't cast out the demons from his son. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. So in times of weakness, God still gives us and leads us by divine illumination. Divine illumination. That's why we have to study His Word, be obedient to the Word as revealed unto us through the, from the revelations of Jesus Christ. That's a personal Word to us. It's designed for us individually, and it operates corporately. Luke one seventy nine says, "To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death." To guide our feet into the way of peace. Because he gives us his peace. There's no greater peace than the peace that the Prince of Peace gives to us. Who are those that were in darkness? The spirits that were in prison are darkness were the Gentile peoples. So he appeared and brought light to us who were in darkness. All of our lives we were in darkness, but a great light had shone in darkness what he told the people in Nazareth when he came. That light that's shining in darkness. The Amplified Version reads, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in a straight line into the way of peace and serenity. In other words, a peace of mind, a stillness and a calmness that can only come from God in the midst of calamity, in the midst of disasters, in the midst of whatever that's going on, my peace that I never take away from. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Yes. You believe in God, believe also in me. Find Christ at that time, his leadership in that time. Of uh, The living version says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and death shatter and to guide us to the path of peace. Remember I told you it's a path, it's a way. God works through the, his covenant to keep us in the way. Yes. He leads us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Because of his name, he's doing these things. It, it's not because of us or any other thing. And a lot of times he saved David of his offspring and said, for my name's sake. Yes. Because of his name. We're children of his name. The leadership of the spirit that guides us. In the book of Acts, the 8th chapter, the 39th verse, it says, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip and carried him away to a different place. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on rejoicing. Now I told you, at the beginning of the apostolic era, at the beginning of the church, yes. the, we see where Philip had four daughters that prophesied. We see Paul raising the dead and handkerchiefs and things going from Paul that heal all manner of sickness and that the shadow of Peter falling on people they were healed or whatever. But at the end of Paul's life or whatever, he left Trophimus at Miletus sick. We see, seems like it wasn't the power of the apostles fading but the church was leaving from its infantile state. 
And it says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. So we see a, a great deal, especially on the day of Pentecost, a great deal of diverse tongues being spoken. Tongues was one of the gifts given unto the church. But we also see, in, see Paul saying that prophecies, they will fail, tongues and these other some gifts would fail or fade away, he says, but faith, hope, love, charity, those things won't fade away. They would increase as the church mature, but we see that tongues really was for the unbeliever. And that when an unbeliever would go in the church and he would hear God speaking to him in his un in his tongue or his language, and he know these people didn't speak that tongue or language that it was unknown to them, that person would believe. That's why when all of the different uh, dialects that was being in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and the people say, we heard them speak to us in our own language, in our own tongue. Aren't these Jews? Aren't these Parthians? Aren't all these people that are saying this Galileans? Well, they know a miraculous thing was coming forth from the church people there. Over the time, I think that gift of tongues has dissipated some. Not that God can't still speak to people in tongues. But I think the church have grown into a more mature state as the writer of Hebrews write, and I think it's the sixth chapter, laying aside the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, let us go on to maturity. In other words, to understand the whole word of God, these signs and wonders, because there will be lying signs and wonders. And you notice a lot of people in churches try to speak tongues and do tongues to show how spiritual they are or whatever. But that's not necessarily make them Christians. That's just like with fasting and all of these rituals that you do. This doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. So as the Pharisees was promoting fasting and prayer, but they were hypocritical in doing it. Jesus said, don't be like these people. Do, the, do what you do in secret, just like in giving. He says, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Just like the widow, she cast in her two mites, but the other people were giving, and he says she cast in more than they did. Yes. So God is a personal God that's looking in what we're doing at all times, not just when we come to church, but how you are outside the church. Are you feeding the needy and helping without somebody seeing you doing it? Are you doing it not for reward, but because it's becoming a part of you as a child of God? So that's how the spirit, the eunuch, it led the eunuch with that fullness in the day. And I don't know if God's spirit working with that pronounced, that pronounced, uh, presence as he did with the unit then. I think it's more by faith that we find people to witness to or testify to, but I don't know if the Spirit is guiding or speaking as it did to the unit here, telling them to go join yourself to that chariot and then go do this or whatever. But by faith we know that voice get louder and louder 
And by walking in God, that, that, that voice gets more pronounced to you. It gets more prominent to you, and you're able to discern that voice better and clearer because of the, 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 the exercise of use of his word and by repeatedly walking and doing it, you, you, you get a deeper fellowship. And that's what I say. It seemed like it was stages of spiritual growth because the apostles couldn't cast out the demons from the demonic, from the son that was possessed by this demonic spirit that would cause him to be cast into the fire. But he says, this kind goeth out but by prayer and fasting. So apparently these people that if they were able, they would have been like Christ Jesus to, that was able to do the greater works, that their prayer life would be more pronounced, would be more increased, and their fasting would be more pronounced and increased to whereas they would be able to command the demons to do these things or whatever. The book of Daniel says that the children of God would wax stronger and stronger they would give out more light. So we're looking at this latter, this latter time that the children of God, that God's people are going to get stronger, those that, that are doing the works of God. It directs in the selection of Christian leaders. Remember in the book of Acts, the 13th chapter, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work until I have called them. But you're, you're, as Barnabas and Saul were going out, the people were fasting and praying. Notice that the Spirit was pronounced enough to send them and direct them out to a job or work or whatever. And the Spirit was there because later on, these same two, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, got into an argument about going in a certain direction when Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him but after I get it might have been this very journey that they had went on that when they came back Barnabas Mark had left them behind in the mission field and returned home but when they got ready to go out again Paul didn't want to take Mark with him and that was Barnabas' cousin. So the spirit had to separate the two, and that's when Paul and Silas start traveling together. But it didn't cause a spiritual division in the love of the two because we find out later that Paul, when he was writing in the book of Timothy, it says, bring Mark with you, for he's a great help to me. He, he would be great at service to me. So it wasn't of falling out of bitterness or whatever. But it was a spiritual decision among, so the, the church has to make spiritual decisions and there's different decisions of leadership, who to install and who has what gift or what's operating and who would be better to lead the church. That's why church ordinations normally occur after the men are put forth by nomination or whatever. They nominate certain people or whatever and then they pray and fast about it and then they lay her hands on them and commit it. The Spirit would make it known then. That's what we have to get back to, a deeper spiritual sense of God choosing the leaders instead of us the way we're choosing leaders in so many 
pastors and deacons and all of this fall into sin and go away and are not brought about by that ministry we're choosing haphazardly now the spirit chooses the field of operation the the spirit also chooses the field of operation Uh, and the book of uh, Acts the 16th chapter now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach in the preach the word in Asia. So certain times, if we're prominent in the spirit and asking for God to lead us each day, should we go here? What we should do? The spirit advised them, don't go into this part of the country or don't go here. That's why you want to be led by the spirit of God. And it's not the author confusion. So sometimes we may see a mission field or somewhere where we want to go and if your heart's right and you're right with God and you're praying about that and fasting about it, God will tell you in a pronounced way, no, don't do this. I had a dream, a nightmare, whatever last night and I was telling my wife and daughter about it. I said, I don't know what it was, but they, I don't even know what they said after I told them because she was in New Orleans with my son and my daughter was somewhere else and we won't a three-way FaceTime call or whatever. But I don't discuss a lot with family a lot of times the same because sometimes they're not taking as light uh, as as sincere as they should or listening. And that's why I say the spiritual essence of what we say you're doing is very important. And that's why, you know, sometimes I just pass on. I didn't bring it back up or say anything else about it. But I'll present it to someone else or something else at another time or whatever. Because I, I'm wondering when God showed me doing things and things that I can remember of vivid things, I want to know, it. is there a meaning into this? Or this was just something I had, you know, something that came about because I had fasted and prayed the majority of yesterday. And, you know, I wanted to know what was this God was, but if it's of the Lord, it'll come, you know. He'll send somebody to tell me or help me explain it about it. But the Spirit also to the ones that are obedient, obedience to a mark of sonship. And I, I keep repeating that verse over and over. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. The Amplified says, For all who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And when we say led by the Spirit of God, that's why I say the Spirit gets stronger and stronger in us. It doesn't hinder us from operating, I'm not want to say the word autonomy, but it doesn't hinder us from getting up in the morning and maybe getting dressed and going to work or going whatever we had to have to do. But if we are praying and asking God into that day, I think there's an imprint of something that is mine. If we're looking for him, we'll find him in those very things that we're doing that he'll present it in question. That's why I say, are we continually searching and looking for God in everything we do? That's why I say, I didn't dismiss the dream, a nightmare, whatever it was. I was trying to find out, was God in that? 
So ain't much more I can do by that but to continue to pray and fast and asking God, what was that? Was, you know, or was it of him? You know, because he tells us to try the spirits to see whether they of God. But he also tells us he that had a dream, let him tell a dream. Galatians 5.18 says, But if you be led of the Spirit of God, you are not under the law. The Amplified says, But if you are guided and led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Notice that when you're not subject to the law. Whereas the King James says, You are not under the law. I think listening to those two, now listening to living, it says, when you are guided by the Spirit, you know you need no longer force yourself to obey Jewish laws. I think that that's a little bit more what I've been talking about. I talked to my son-in-law about that this afternoon or whatever. Because uh, as I told you earlier, the law is Jewish. The law wasn't given to the Gentiles. That's why Peter... Uh, they were saying in the book of Acts at the council with James and the rest of the apostles, he said, why do you try to put them, lay the burden of the yoke of the law on them that we wasn't able to keep? So the law was weak through the flesh. The law was given to God's people, not to the Gentiles. And I see now where the Christian nationalists, a lot of people putting the Ten Commandments up and saying all these commandments. Now hold on. You want to bring the nation or all of these people up under the law and we can't keep the law. We're under grace and truth. Yes, yes. Now what that means to the Christians? Do we violate the law? The book of Romans, I think it's the third chapter, says by faith we help establish the law. Yes. Because the Spirit doesn't work contrary to the law. But God's Spirit is writing God's laws upon our hearts. That's why I say we are circumcised. We are a Jew inwardly. He writes His law upon our hearts. So we do exactly what the Word of God says. But it's of faith and not of the law. So how can you put people that are, are, are under Satan or are unbelievers upon the law? You bringing condemnations on them because it's condemned in the flesh. You bringing a, a law upon somebody that you can't keep the law. J- James says if you violate in one point, you violate it in all points. Yes. We have here a man that's been married three different times that, that's been the president of the United States and they're wanting to make him a president again. What happens to thou should not commit adultery, and if you remarry, you committed adultery, and you make the one that that you're marrying commit adultery. Because I don't think any of his divorces were because of fornication or adultery that he left his spouses for. Are you understanding what the law means? See, but you're led by the Spirit of God, so that's why preaching, he says, preaching unto them, it brings conviction, but it's not legalistic. It's by the Spirit. By the works of the law shall no flesh be saved. 
Now, if you, if you make it here, they give you a bunch of commandments and say you are under this law and you could present that to God at the gate of heaven. Something's wrong at the white throne judgment. How are you going to get in other than saying, hey, I trusted in Jesus Christ. I had faith in His works and what He did. He died to save me. All my sins upon Him. Whatever I'd done was upon Him. He's my advocate with the Father. That's who I, I have faith in Him. By grace. How was Noah saved? By grace. So, guidance is sort. It goes all the way back to the Psalm 580. It says, Oh, lead me. Lead me in your righteousness because of my enemy. Make your way straight, that is direct, right before me. Make it right there because what is his law? It's righteousness. All of his law is righteousness. That's the character that we develop is the righteousness of God. That's what he imputes unto us. His righteousness after he justifies us. He puts us in a correct standing and upright standing with God. We are justified in Christ Jesus. Now he imputes his righteousness unto us. The living virgin says, Lord, lead me as you promised you would. As you what? Promised. You remember I tell you, that's what we're depending upon, the promises of God's word. That's what this whole thing is about, God's word. He told Adam, the day you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. That's not only a promise of faith, but that's a fact. The day he ate of it, God didn't have to repeat that to him. It was in effect. So we depending up if God promised it, and if I can lay hold to that promise, that's what I need, the promises of God. Yes. And they are yay, yay in Christ Jesus. Believe me as you promise you would, otherwise my enemies will conquer me. Tell me clearly what to do and which way to turn. I need you. Shall I go up? You remember David says, bring the ephod in the thumbing so I could inquire of it. That's the same as prayer today. As praying to God in God's word. Let us inquire of God. And God says, look, Jesus said, look, ask the Father anything in my name, he'll do to me. Yes. Doesn't God say, well, when they call to me, I'll answer? It's prayer. He's made that the instrument. That's the mechanism. That's the device we use to get the ear of God. Yes. He said he'll hear. He promises he'll hear. And he says, tell me clearly. And you remember that's what I was saying about the dream or whatever. Yeah. Before I couldn't go on it, before Nebuchadnezzar went on something, he said, well no, I'm not going to even tell you the dream or anything else. You tell me the dream and the interpretation and I know you're not lying to me. Because some people interpret a dream and you don't know whether they're telling the truth or not or that's just something they're saying. Yeah. Remember, Joseph and Daniel said that interpretations of a dream is from the Lord. Yeah. When they was asking me, they say interpretations come from the Lord. So I need to know clearly which way should I go? What should I do? Who shall I marry? We don't lay out fleece like Gideon was laying out fleece before the Lord trying to make the Lord Prove himself to him. If this is you, let the fleece be wet and the ground around it be dry. If this is you, let the fleece be dry and the ground around it be wet. Well, that's not in fact faith. Faith is trusting that God said it. Yes. 
I've been walking in His way, and I believe God, I trust in God. It's the evidence of things unseen. Faith is the substance of these things. Faith is the substance of those things. So the essence of what God says is in His Word. Yes. And His Spirit leads us by His Word. We're led and guided into all truth. So at the revelation of Jesus Christ, what's a revelation? It's a plainness to show us the way. It's a light. It's a revealing of God's Word. It comes from Jesus Christ. And that's why he says, the Spirit will reveal unto you the things of mine. Psalms 25 and 5. Here goes Psalms again. Lead me in, in thine truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. The living says, lead me, teach me, for you are the God who gives me salvation. I have no hope except in you. So I'm dependent and trusting on you. There's no other way. I believe exactly what you said. You're the way, you're the truth, and you're the life. So if, if I try to walk in this and do this, you've given me an inner peace and a calm to believe and have faith that I'm walking in your word. You've given me joy. And you've given me so much joy that I don't have to be with people or do anything. I just have joy in your word. He's given me joy that the world can't take it away. No matter what condition I am, I rejoice in the Lord. Like Paul and Silas were singing at midnight. They were in prison singing and rejoicing in the Lord. They were singing and rejoicing for they were able to be beaten for Jesus' name. So that's a contact. That's being led, led and guided by the Spirit of God. And that's what it's all about, keeping ourselves in a condition to be led by the Spirit of God as promised. That's what he promises to his children. Psalms 27 and 11 is similar to that verse, Psalms 25 and 5. It says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies who lie in wait. Put me on a crooked path where he can hide behind this. I know you have my real which are my reward, that you protect that which is behind me. But lead me on a level path. You know, sometimes when you have ups and downs, it has a tendency to the creep make you apathetic or it creates anxiety into you or uh, creates a stressful thing or whatever. Mm. But when the past is level, you know, it says that they go before a king and level out the highway. In other words, they take a lot of the crooks and turns off that you might fall off the edge or get lost in a curve, and they take the rough spots out of the road. They take all of the rough spots so you won't be bouncing around or whatever. You know, because, you know, sometimes as we get older, we want a more smooth path. We want a leveler path. There's nothing wrong with asking God for that, you know. You may have paid your dues and worked the whole stressful life. You want a little bit more comfortable time in your latter years. You're not asking for to remove the mountain, but you're asking for a level path up the mountain. Tell me what to do, O Lord, and make it plain because I'm surrounded by waiting enemies. I'm surrounded by people waiting to say, Oh, I thought you was this. I thought you said you didn't do it. I thought... 
uh, is a lot of accusers of the brethren. And hopefully I'm not one of those that accuse and make accusations. Because in that verse he says, what it was, that verse, the eight verse or something, when he says the pointing of the finger, uh, it was that ninth verse. It says, Then shall thou call on the Lord, and he shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am, if thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity. You know, that's what Adam did. He blamed me. It's always somebody else. Stop pointing and, and take the yoke out your own eye. Take the beam out of your own eye. Stop speaking evil of people and stop speaking vanity or whatever. The Lord, is, the Lord is your vengeance. The Lord takes vengeance for you. The Lord, you don't want to be the accuser of the brethren. You don't want to be that person. Psalms 43 and 10 says, Teach me to do your will so that I may please you. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So we see here, we ask that you write your law upon our heart. The book of Psalms, one of the Psalms, I think it's in the one nineteenth Psalm, where it says, "Write your law upon hide your law within my heart. Hide your word within my heart that I sin not against you." That's why we should meditate on it day and night. It should become our part of our character, our being, or who we are. So it's not legalistic. It's just that. That's, that's what I am now. That's what I've become. That's the new man. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's why it says I lead the blind man in a way that they didn't know. You see, I didn't realize or know all these things. Now God's Spirit is showing it to me. He's revealing. He's making it real to me. This better than some legal aspect of saying this is what you transgress. This is what you shouldn't be. This is what you shouldn't do. But this is actually the way I feel, that I actually love all men. I actually love all those that are even doing me wrong. I love those that lie and cheat to me. I, I, I love, I, I'm willing to do just what you say, feed my enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use me. Because I know my father seeth what I'm doing. It, you, nobody else might know what I'm putting up with or just how much you put me through. But the Father knowing he's going to reward me. I don't have to raise up and show how bad I am or who I am. God knows. He says, help me to do your will for you are my God. Lead me in good paths for your spirit is good. So you see all of the direct appeal is to God. And it is for his guidance that God would guide us and guide me and guide each and every one of us in the ways of righteousness, in his righteousness, in his righteous way. The book of Proverbs, the 29th chapter and 18th verse says, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law is happy. That go that law again. And I was telling you about the law being Jewish. But that's why we want God to show us the way. He says, without a vision, the people perish. Well, I don't want... This man's vision or his vision because it's predicated on opinion. But I want God to show me what he's trying to show me. Without God's vision, we shall perish. So let's read that in the Amplifier. It says, 
where there is no vision or no revelation of God or His Word, the people are unrestrained. But happy and blessed is he who keeps the law of God. In other words, blessed are those who God starts showing His way and showing His will, and He's helping us to do His will. Blessed of us, because now we see what others don't see, because why? We're seeing it through the eyes of faith. The world may not know where we headed or they headed, but I know we headed to heaven. We headed to where God has directed us, and we headed to the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and all of his righteousness, and I pray for it each day, that his kingdom come, and I'm walking as a way that's trying to pleasing unto him. And when my ways please him, he'll even make my enemies be at peace. Now the living version said where there's ignorance of God, crime crime runs wild. But what a wonderful thing it is for a nation to know and keep his laws. So that's what Abraham thought. He thought, these people don't know the Jewish God. These people don't know my God. And they will kill me for my wife. And so I just want to say, Sarah, my sister, and may let me live. Nineveh was a wild and a, and a vexing place and the people, that's why they repented when Jonah came preaching. Something convicted them about Jonah preaching. Said, he says, repent. Nineveh's going to be, I don't know what the whole sermon was or was that, the, you know, was that just the gems of the sermon, the heart of it, or what else was the other points or what else fill in the in the meat of the sermon that he was saying that caused them to repent. But we know he went with a proclamation with conviction because he had just not got cast out of the belly of the fish. Yes. We know he was going to do right and preach right then because yeah. Yeah. he was almost dead. Yeah. Well, now you fear and reverence God. Now you will go with the great commission and make disciples. Yeah. He didn't want to make disciples. He wanted the people to be lost. But you see the effectiveness preaching has when we preach it with fervor, yes. with effectual conviction that the people repented at the preaching of Jonah. Yes. But when Abraham came in the Pharaoh and Abimelech, him thinking they were ungodly, not knowing God's word does say any king or leader, the whole world, if any man's on a throne or running a kingship, God had set him there. Do you you read and studied, we read and studied where God spoke to each one of those kings at night and told them that that's Abraham's wife? Now, if it's running and restraining, but to see that God's in control, even though these was pagan kings, God appeared to them and said, and they listened at God, and called Abraham in and told him, see, so as the world is unrestrained and we're trying to make people, it would, only when people believe God's word, start acting upon God's word, will there be peace upon the earth. When it becomes the kingdom of God, when all people start believing in Jesus Christ and his government. But we can't legislate that in because all people have heard of God God may not have given them understanding, knowledge, and wisdom, uh, insight. He hadn't given them a heart to believe. 
So why should we hold their feet to the fire on something that they can't do anyhow? It's impossible. He told Isaiah, go and preach, but they go hear, but they're not going to understand. They go see, but they're not going to be able to see. They're going to be in darkness. We'll all, as I keep repeating, all of us are sitting in darkness unless God brings the light. The light of Jesus Christ. That's why it says, let your light so shine that men would see that light and give God the glory. So until the light come into their lives, your preaching, you know, doesn't do any good. But we are to preach because it's a warning. He says, cry loud and spare not. So we're to preach it in the whole world. Why? Because they must be warned. He must have warned all of us. God never acts without warning. He, he warns and convicts the people. The vision having uh, well-formed goal, a vision having well-formed goals is an absolute necessity to anybody going anywhere. Basketball teams, football team, anywhere. You must show somebody where they're headed, what's the goal in life where they may not get there. If you just wander around aimlessly not headed somewhere you sure won't get anywhere you won't achieve anything in the end vision in this verse can be translated as revelation which means in turn divine guidance unless you have divine guidance from God and that's why it comes to say Jesus Christ is the way I'm the way and the truth and the life I'm the only way so you have to get the revelation of Jesus Christ but it's in the Spirit to give us that revelation, to be that light. If one would recast this proverb into modern English, it would read something like, without divine guidance, the people cast out restraint. So we see without being under God, just as the nation was, just as I said, if it was a Christian nation years ago, what happened? How did they get so loose? Not that the restraints had been loose. You can, they changed in the abortion. They voted uh, to remove Roe versus Wade. But until the people's heart changed, children are still going to be born out of wedlock. Or either they will be getting the ab- abortions or whatever because you hadn't changed a heart. That's why he gives us a new heart. A heart with the ability to serve him. In the Old Testament, he said he hadn't given them a heart to serve God. You have to have the right heart. The vision, the revelation of God makes a person walk a certain path. That's the only way to walk the straight, narrow way. Other than that, we can walk in the broad way. That's what different religions and things allow you to do. There, there are no narrowing of the way, the, the, the truth of God, the word of God. If it were not for that revelation of vision, we would at very least, uh, at the very least, wander off the path, and that's what the Hebrew people were doing. They were drifting away, yes. and that's why he did the preaching and the word of the word of God in the book of Hebrews, because the people were becoming adrift, and that's what they're doing in the churches today. They're wandering off the path because the sternness of the preaching of holiness is not there. The preaching, the discipline, and all of these things are not there. It simply means that those without the revelation of God, those without godly vision, live purposelessly, purposeless lives. 
God has to be our purpose. He had created us for good works. We have to seek our purpose in life through God in what we should be doing. So that's why I say each day we report to God and say, Here I am, Lord. Lead me and guide me in righteousness today. Lead me in your ways. Whatever you want me to do, whichever way you want me to do. Let me direct it, be directed by Jesus so I won't veer off course, even for a good reason. When they came to Jesus and says, the one that you love it is dying, notice that Jesus tarried three or four days where he was. And he says he was sent to preach the gospel over here and do these things. He didn't let them get him off course. He stayed on course. When the people were looking for him to be fed and Peter come looking for him, he says, Jesus the people are looking for you over here. And Jesus says, they're looking for me because I fed them and I healed them. He says, I was sent to preach the gospel to do the will of God. Stay guided by God. Don't quench or grieve the spirit, but know what your directives are. Know your purpose. Don't quench the spirit. Be led by the spirit of God, not by man. Their lives are, uh, are lived lawlessly and in vanity without direction. And that's what I say. We're allowed to wander or dangle. It's like a boat that's not moray to the, to the docks. Yes. We don't have us tying us in. The spirit has a tendency to speak to you. Go this way. Go to The more obedient you are to the spirit. The more you submit yourself into God, the stronger you get and the more light comes into your life and the more of ability of faith grows. The more fasting and the more spiritual you become as you take in this walk of faith as you have ever increase in faith, more loyalty to God's word and dying to self, not pursuing your purposes, not pursuing that which is carnal. Therefore, for a group to be unified, all must have the same vision of where to go in life. And that's how some churches get off course. Their, their mission, they get off mission. Their mission directives, when they set out a bunch of mission directives from man and try to stay on that without allowing the Spirit to lead them and guide them, that's what some of the churches do. They cast God out of the church and their traditions. Their mission directives get stronger than the Spirit. You have to be pliable to be able to say, as they were going, in, they wanted to go into Asia, for the Spirit says, no, don't go over there now. My directive is for you to go in this place. You remember the man calling Paul from Macedonia? Sometimes things happen, but you have to be so spirit knowledgeable and know the spirit of God. It says, try the spirits to see whether they be of God. There are seducing spirits to try to lure you off course. It's like the adulterous woman in the book of Proverbs. She's consistently trying to pull the wayward soul off course. I think I can get this one in before I stop for the day. Colossians 2, 9 through 10. You are built up in Christ. Paul says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those believers at Laodicea. Now, this is him in Colossians talking about the people at Laodicea. You remember that Laodicean church? Yeah. But you remember I told you that church, it was lacking something and 
That was the one that said that they was rich and had need, not need of anything. And Christ was knocking at the door. Paul was pr- praying for this church and talking to this church. He wrote a letter to this church at Colossians. He says, and for all who like yourself have never seen my face, seen me face to face. So he had never been to Colossae. He had never been to Laodicea, but his letters had went there. He had wrote and sent things to them there. So that's what we have to do. We have to love believers all over the world, wherever children of God is. That's why our prayer has to go out in a Catholic manner. In other words, a universal matter for all saints. Are we praying for the saints in Ukraine? Are we praying for the people in Palestine? I ain't saying Israel because Israel, yeah, we pray for the saints in Israel. But this bombing and shelling that they're doing It's not, I don't know if it's God-led, but I know that there are a lot of godly and a lot of Christian people in Palestine that they're destroying, that they're making homeless. He says, For my hope is that your hearts may be encouraged as they are knit together in unselfish love, so that they may have all the riches that come from the full assurance of understanding the joy of salvation resulted in a true and more intimate knowledge of the mystery of God. The mystery of God. And that's what I was telling you, that we should have that assurance of salvation, for God is our salvation, the joy of salvation. There are a lot of them that are fleeing, that can witness or doing things. They hadn't lost their salvation. They hadn't lost their They hadn't lost God. Hopefully the people of Israel... Don't get them to hate and start stooping to their devices, but that those that know Christ, those that know God, they would still love God even though these circumstances has befallen them. Christ, he says, the knowledge of the mystery of God that is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge regarding the word and the purposes of God. It's all in Christ. The mystery of godliness is in Christ. So we have to know Christ. And that's why we go into all of the world preaching and making them this, making disciples and teaching the word of God that the spirit is witnessing to you of Jesus Christ. And he died for us. He died for you to save you and to bring you into a knowledge and understanding of you and that you were created for good works and let not nothing that, that's befallen you change those things. He says, I say this so that no one will deceive you with persuasive but thoroughly deceptive arguments. For even though I'm absent from you in body, nevertheless I'm with you in spirit, delighted to see your good discipline as you stand shoulder to shoulder and form a solid front and see the stability of your faith in Christ, your steadfast reliance on him, and your unwavering confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. So these people still in Christ, no matter what's befallen them, we're praying for saints throughout the world. So I say, we should be in prayer and fasting as Paul and them was praying and fasting to the people that was be caught in the famine and drought or whatever. God sees those that are mourning and sighing and mourning for the things being done in the earth, for the wickedness that's in the earth. That's why it says cry aloud. 
That's why he says those that cry unto me. So what are your prayers about? Is, is it just for the car that you have? Is it just for the little problem that you have in it? Is it always directed at you? Or are you looking at the news and seeing what's going on in the Sudan? Seeing what's going on in the Congo? Seeing what's going on in Japan with the earthquake? Seeing what's going on throughout the world? Are you approaching the throne of grace and petitions and prayer and supplications being made for all men? He says, therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in union with him, reflecting his character in the things you do and say, living lives that lead others away from sin, having been deeply rooted in him and now being continually built up in him and becoming increasingly more established in your faith, just as you were taught and overflowing in gratitude. This goes on throughout the 11th verse about being one in Christ and following Christ and being led by the Spirit of Christ. And that's what we have to do. Ask God for his guidance, his direction, and that he be with us and that we pray for that, pray to the max for that and fast for that and that be our life and become that he would guide us and lead us into more of a union and a fellowship with him. Heavenly Father, as I come before you,